This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Thank you, Jerusha. Thank you, Matt. Uh, welcome. Good morning, guys. How are we? It's about to go down. My name's Arnaldo. I'm the uh, Equip and Kids Pastor here, and I'm really excited uh, to open up our new series, Better Together. Uh, just closing off uh, last week, uh, thank you to Matt Sharp and Regalia for closing off our Romans series. Um, and we're, we're excited, we're really excited about what, what this means. And for the next two months, the next about eight weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at different facets, different ways, different realities about what it looks like to be the church, to be better together. And, and what's beautiful about celebrating our fifth birthday is that that's going to be somewhat of, of a parable, of a lived parable about what it means to be better together. Uh, and so this is all one seamless thing that we'll, we'll be looking at in the next few weeks about how, how do we uh, form, what does it mean this is the question. What does it mean to be the people of God today? And what we don't want to do is we don't want to uh, look to other ages. So we, we, we don't want to just say, hey, the church was perfect in the first century. Can we just sort of do a copy and paste? Or, or 50 years ago even, can we go back somewhere? We're not asking anyone. We're, we're, not, we're not a church that's going to go backwards. We're not a church that is going to be naively ideal about what it means to be the church. We want to look at some really hard and stark realities about what it means to be the church today in the 21st century in the West, in the inner West of Sydney, in, in, in a global city that is moving uh, sometimes uh, diametrically uh, opposed to uh, our values. What does it look like to be the people of God? What does it look like to be the church? And we have a vision for a church that embodies the life of Christ in the context of community. Community. We want to cultivate the real community that Jesus calls us into the type of community that our culture is crying out for. The kind of community that you were made for, the kind of community that every, every ad or, 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 or all of our cultural institutions are striving for in a broken way. What does it look like to be that people? Because you were made for more. The point is you were made for more than just yourself. You were made for community. And we are, quite frankly, better together. So let me pray, and then we will dive right into it. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that we have just enough health and enough energy to be here, Lord, and we pray for those who are unwell in our community. And we ask now that you would help us to learn and embody what it means to be better together, what it means to be the church in the 21st century, what it means to be the church here in Sydney. And so I pray now that you would uh, uh, help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people and help me to remember the things that will And for those who may not consider themselves followers of Jesus' Holy Spirit, I pray that you, even now, I pray unashamedly that you would blow through this place and bring people to faith and bring people to see your beauty and your glory and your goodness. And we thank you for all these things, Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And the question, what is the church? What is a church. And if we just do uh, some sort of word study, the, the church, uh, the, the name that's given in the Greek is, is ecclesia. And it's, it's easy for me to understand because in Spanish, which is my first language, it's iglesia. So the question, what is the iglesia? What is the church? And simply put, it is a congregation of people. It's an assembly. 
But it's also an assembly that has been called out. So it's not an assembly that is just inward looking, uh, 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 inward facing, but it is a community that is called out into the world, called out of the world to go into the world. So we can say that a church is a gathering of people who have been called to a different way of life. It's not just to be a community of people, a gathering of people who've been called to think differently, although that's included. But it's we are a gathering of people that have been called to live a different way of life. But so often I find uh, three images that uh, we often approach church in this way, in, in one of three ways. We, we can approach church as a shopping center, as a mall, as we would call it in good old America. A mall, right? Yes, and amen. And so what do we do when we go to a shopping center? We go to consume, we go to buy, right? And so we go, we, we pass by these stores where there are windows with mannequins tempting us to come in, the priests of the shopping mall. Saying, come in, come in. The evangelists, rather. They're the evangelists that just ask us to come and buy and, and enter into the good life. And so often we approach church in this way. Many times when we are, we've moved to a new area or we're just discontent with the church that we're in, we, we ask questions such as, how can, uh, what, is, what is this church going to do for me? How can I consume the goods of this church? And a lot of churches uh, set themselves up in such a way that they will offer a banquet of options. Because so often we think about the church as a, a consumer, from a consumeristic viewpoint where we come to a church, we go to a church to consume, to get simply. Now I'm not saying you don't get things from being a part of a, a beautiful community such as this one, but that is not, so often that is the primary and maybe only reason why we may go to a church. It is to consume, to sit back and consume. Sometimes the church is a shopping mall. Sometimes it's a sports stadium. Sometimes we go to sit and be entertained. We just go, we, 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 we enjoy the music or we enjoy the teaching or we enjoy, uh, uh, you know, uh, body life. And, and, and we, we go with the mindset to be entertained. And so we don't serve or we don't give or we don't participate. We don't participate in body life. Oftentimes, we see the church as a train or subway car, right? Where you are in close proximity to people, just like we are here, and we're going in some kind of direction, and we use the church to just get us where we feel we need to go. And so sometimes we view the church uh, uh, through consumer lenses. It's a shopping mall, or sometimes it's simply a sports stadium where we come to get entertained, or, or maybe we just need some personal fulfillment, and so we'll use the church for those ends. And that is not the picture that we find in the scriptures of the church. And there's one thread that runs through every single one of those images that I gave you. And it is me. Me. It is the self. And the self has taken, the, the, the self, the, 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 per, the, the me, the, the, this me culture has taken such central place in our thinking it, that me, the self, has become the center of gravity for the world. That everything revolves around us. Or rather me. And we fail to make those connections where, where primarily 
We think about the world as it surrounds me. In fact, it's interesting that in marriages, it takes about 10 to 11 years for your default way of thinking from me to we. Even in such a strong relationship, an institution of marriage, it takes a decade, a decade to displace yourself as the center of that world. And one way that we can talk about this undercurrent that seeks to swallow us up is expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. Right now, it is the first principle of our age. It is the unmoved mover. It is the, the logos. It is the logic of our world. The logic of our world is that we come first. We shape our morality around it. We shape our ethics around it. It is the idea that you are supreme. That you hold the center of gravity in your world. And everything has been affected and infected by this thought. Every single person here has drunk the Kool-Aid. Every single one. I don't care if you grew up in church. I don't, uh, you know, uh, which, is, which is not a bad thing. But the, the point is that the, the air we breathe, the water we drink is expressive individualism. I'm not going to go into the history of that. But I do want to show you some ways how that shows up, some expressions of expressive individualism. In the church, so often, as we read the scriptures, we read them through radically individualistic eyes. And so, and sometimes the translation doesn't help. So, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, both Paul is talking about us, the body, being the temple of the Holy Spirit. In, in 1 Corinthians 6, he's talking in the singular you. He's saying you, you. The singular you, you are the temple. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we take that thinking to 1 Corinthians 3 where he's talking about yous. Yous are the body. Yous are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So much so, listen, so much so this has affected our culture, our, our, our evangelical Christian culture in that I'm not sure if this company is still in, uh, in business, but... You can order a Bible where all the promises of God, your name is replaced from, from the you. So much so that, that the scriptures that were given to a community become about you. Completely separated from community. This is how much expressive individualism has infected and affected our world. And the most prominent place you see this, I think... Uh, is in music. You see this in movies, but, but music, because music, listen, music gets under your cognitive faculties. It gets, it taps into your imagination. It gets you to shape what you view as the good life. And you will find yourself often singing along to things like I do, that when you read the lyrics, you're like, I, I, uh, I'm wrong here. Because music taps into the imagination. Music creates our longings and desires. So Ariana, and we all know who that is. You know, if you listen to her music, if you listen to the Global Top 50 on Spotify, and you just sort of, you're working along, you put that on. She has, I don't know, maybe four or five songs in the Top 50. And, and it's interesting when you stop and you actually listen, right? So in Seven Rings, um, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. Uh, you know, she, she, she talks, you know, she, oh, maybe I will, but she, 
there's the verse or chorus. I'm not sure what, what the term is. Uh, but it's just, I see it. I want it. I got it. New hair? Just bought it. Right? It's, it's just... <laughs> It's all about her. And in her, in her other song about relationships, uh, Thank You Next, where she, cr- she chronicles these relationships and how she's gained from them. In the second verse, she talks about putting a wedding ring or, or going down the aisle, her mother walking her down the aisle. And you think, okay, who's this guy? And it's herself. That she marries herself. And she's so awesome. But even worse than Ariana is Elsa. And, and, and maybe this, you know, if you, if you don't have kids, so I have a four-year-old, Evangeline, and of course, you know, she has the dress up, she's seen Frozen, she's seen the movies, excited for Frozen 2, and um, I know all those songs, but then I started to listen to the songs. I can recite all those songs, sort of like precognitive, it's just been wired into me by this point, but then I stopped and I, I googled and then I, I, I read this, and I, I, I'm going to really try to not sing it. <laughs> it's funny how some distance <laughs> makes everything seem small. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. I had to perform an exorcism on Evie after I... I'm like, oh, this is what she's been singing, and this is not how I want to shape her world. And, and expressive individualism has infected and affected everything. And unless we understand the effects of that on us as the people of God, we cannot flourish because we will be drowned by these cultural forces at work against us. And so Mark Sayers, uh, in, in a book called Disappearing Church, really, really helpful book, uh, written a couple years ago, he has seven manifestos, or the seven commandments, as you were, of our culture. What, what are they? How are we going to operate as the people of God if we don't understand what is coming up against us? All throughout scripture, we, we find uh, this sort of warfare language. And Paul talks about our warfare not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities at power in the world. So the question, what are, how are these powers and principalities shaping our world? So I want to give you seven ways, seven uh, commandments that maybe you have been believing, probably you've been believing, unaware, thinking that's just the way it is. But there are particular aims that that these ideas want to, particular people that these ideas want to shape, and they are not conducive to being the people of God together. They will not make us better together. And these, these these are the seven. Number one, that the highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self definition, and self expression. That is the highest good in the world. Freedom, this sort of untetheredness, freedom of choice, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression. Number two, therefore, traditions, religions, received wisdom from the ages, regulations, and social ties that restrict individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. 
Number three, the world will inevitably improve. This is the story of progressive, expressive individualism. The world will inevitably, inevitably improve as the scope of individual freedom grows. That's the story. Number four, the primary social morality ethic is tolerance of everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and expression. Any deviation from this is dangerous and must not be tolerated. Number five, humans are inherently good. Number six, large-scale structures and institutions are suspicious at best, evil at worst. And finally, forms, number seven, forms of external authority are to be rejected. How dare you? Any form of external authority is to be rejected. And personal authority is lauded. We've all drunk from this well. I've exposed... Maybe for some of you, maybe for the first time, yeah, that, that is actually what I think. And the question is how, if being shaped by those forces, can we make sense of Scripture and what Scripture calls us to be, of the kind of people Scripture wants us to be? And this story, this, the, the, those seven commandments, this, it, it has given us a kind of world. It has created, it has produced a world. The question is, what are the fruits of, the world, of that world that it's produced? Have we seen flourishing? Have we seen the good? It's interesting that today, more than ever, we, in, in, in such a hyper-connected sort of Mark Zuckerberg world that he's created with his team, we feel the loneliest than we've ever felt. The loneliest we have ever felt. We, we, are, we are so hyper-connected, and yet it just doesn't deliver. It just hasn't, this story of expressive individualism hasn't delivered the goods. We live in one of the most affluent societies and yet we suffer more from depression and anxiety than ever before. Like that's just a, re- listen, that's just a reality we need to deal with. It is what it is. The question is, Why? If, if, if the story of our secular culture is telling us that it will deliver on the goods, and yet what we get is anxiety and depression and loneliness, we have to question, well, why? Is this the right story to be living out of, into? Is it the right story to be receiving our cues from? That's the question. Loneliness even has been linked to death. So much so that... Uh, in, in the UK, I believe it was 20, I can't remember the, the year. Uh, in the UK, the, um, they appointed a minister for loneliness. 2017. Appointed a minister for loneliness. And they've, they've done studies where they have projected that it is, it is uh, loneliness is worse for you than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The U.S. Surgeon General has, has uh, uh, conducted, after many studies, that it could be asso- loneliness can be associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. So the question for us is, it hasn't delivered. How are we going to be the people of God in this context? 
people of God who have been affected and infected by these ideas, by, 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 these, uh, by this story that says if we express ourselves authentically, if we, if we all have the power to just self-define, then our world will be better. The question is, that we need to post that is, is so far that that hasn't worked. So what are we to do? And our culture n- notices that loneliness is a problem, but so do the scriptures. The, the text read this morning um, uh, is, uh, let, 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 let me just say this before, before I read the text, is that this is not about being anti-culture. This is not just about taking a, uh, the club of scripture to culture. This is about saying, how can we be the people of God for the sake of the culture? So this is not uh, pitting us against them. This is saying, how can we shape ourselves? How can we cultivate a, a community that is better together for the sake of our culture? That's the point. And in Genesis 2, um, the, the author of Genesis 2 writes this, this story of, of, of Adam and Eve, of the first man and the first woman. And I don't want us to limit this to uh, marriage, that this is a marriage text, that this is the first marriage, although that may be true. What's, what's a deeper reality here, given the context, is that so far, everything has been good. Everything has been good. Genesis 1 talks about God creating, and at the end of that day, saying, and it, it was good. Seeing it, enjoying it, and it was good. Seeing it, enjoying it, and it was good. It was good, it was good, it was good. And at the end of day 6, he looks at his whole creation, and he says, it is very good. It is very good. But what's interesting in that middle of the goodness of creation, we find verse 18, which says this in chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So it's not only the culture that notices that, that, that we need to be connected. It's not just Zuckerberg that says, I, I want to I create a, a connected world. But it, it's the scriptures that say we're, we're made for community. We need each other. And when there are, I don't know how many people are in this room, but if you can just imagine, if, if there are uh, hundred centers of gravity all fighting for the center, there is chaos. Our center of gravity is not us. It's not you. Our center of gravity needs to be stronger than that. Our sense of rootedness needs to be bigger than that. And that's why, before our text, God says, let us make man, humanity, in our own image. And each and every single one of you has been endowed with this gift, immeasurable gift called the imago Dei, called the image of God, where you have worth and value and respect and dignity and a future. Each and every single one of us has that. There's not one person you have ever met that does not have the Imago Dei, that does not have the image of God, that does not have this. You can hardly put it into words of who we are. And that's why we're tempted to worship humanity. Because we're made in the image of God. That means at least is that we're made for relationship because God himself is the Trinity, is a Trinity. Three persons, one God, all what C.S. Lewis calls, there's been this eternal dance between Father, Son, and Spirit. And you can imagine, you're awesome. You're awesome. You're awesome. 
And then he calls you into that. He, he opens up that circle, that dance, and he invites you into that. That's amazing. And that, that, therefore, we're made not to go at it alone. We're not made to simply express ourselves. We're not against expression at all. God gives us creativity, and we want to use that for his glory. But we will not use that for our own. And so, a bit of a summary and, and movement forward. The next eight weeks will answer in more detail what it looks like to be this kind of community. Uh, but first, we're, we're called, we need to get the vision of, of what we're called to be first. We're called to be a church that embodies the life of Christ in the context of community. We're called to be a church that embodies the life of Christ in the context of community. And we want to cultivate this. We want to cultivate what it means to be the community of the called out ones for the sake of the world. We want to be the type of community that, that the culture thirsts for. We want to be the answer to that. And that's going to be radically different from what we have learned from our world. And yet we live in this world and we're shaped by this culture that is diametrically opposed to the vision of being a part of the community that calls itself to live for others. That we live beyond ourselves. So how are we going to be the church in our day and age, how can we fight this formational tide of our culture that says you are supreme, you do you, you're the center of the world, find yourself, be true to your heart, follow your heart, all that matters are, are your desires to, to find self-expression and self-fulfillment. How can we be the church when we've all been affected by that story? A, co- a couple things. I'm going to give you three words to think about. And then we'll wrap up. One is, is repent, serve, and commit. We need to repent. That's, that's not a dirty word. Maybe we've experienced it as a dirty word. Maybe we've been in, in maybe un, really unhealthy uh, uh, religious environments where, where repentance was, was uh, just seen as not getting rid of shame, but, but sort of pouring shame on. Repentance is a God-given gift to us so that we can live within the, uh, uh, the, the, the God-given uh, uh, grain of the universe so that we can be made right, so that we can be more humane and more human. Repentance is not a dirty word. Repentance spells out freedom. Repentance, there's freedom in repentance. When we say, I will no longer think of myself as the center of the universe, that my center of gravity is Jesus Christ and his causes in this world. That he has called me to his mission. That I'm not calling Jesus to my mission, but, but he has called me into his story and his mission. We repent. We turn from not only wrong ways of thinking, but harmful ways of thinking. We've seen the results of what, this life, this kind of thinking has, has given us. We, we, we've, we've received it at our doorstep. It is chaos and death and confusion. We repent. And then we choose to serve. One of the ways that you can get over yourself is to give yourself. And there's a lot of us who need to get over ourselves and begin to give ourselves in service to others. 
And so we serve one another. There's a surf course coming up in a couple weeks. Cheeky plug. But I just, I just went through, you know, someone who couldn't make it, but he, he made time. And we sat down for half an hour just before the service. And he was so eager to get beyond himself to serve. Like, imagine if we had that attitude that every single one of us, and there are many in this room who do, that, that, that I am in awe of the way you serve, the way this church serves one another. But how can we get beyond ourselves to serve? And commit, we commit to a local body. The scriptures say that we are to be under authority. And, and maybe that shocks you. But Paul's word to us as the church is that we are under the authority of the elders of a local church. And so we commit to being at a local church. So we repent, we serve, and we commit. We are made for community whose center of gravity is not the self, but is Jesus Christ and his mission for us. We're not joined together by our ethnicity, clearly. We're not joined together by our nationality. We're not joined together by our financial status. We're not joined together by the kind of cars we drive or the kind of relationships that we are in, whether we're married or we're single. We're not drawn. This is not a community it's a community that's shaped by all those things, but that, it's not a community that is owned by all those things, that is regulated by those things. Your race or your gender or your financial uh, uh, accomplishments or non-accomplishments. In Christ, we are one. In Christ, there is neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek. We are all one. That is radical in this world. Maybe, maybe you don't know that. That is radical in this world to abolish those outward uh, markers as the reason why you're a part of a community. And that's what you're being called into. And the only community that is strong enough to hold this is a community that is held and bound together by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only hope for the world. You, the local church, is the hope for the world. Get on board. He's calling you to something so much bigger than your career. Ah, He promises to give you the world. Did you know? Maybe you don't know that. Maybe you don't know that in the gospel, Jesus promises that because we are his, because we are the fathers, we inherit the earth. And we're so worried about a land deed and our name on it. Or a name on a plaque as a part. I'm not saying all those things are wrong or bad, but they need to take a far back seat to the purposes of Jesus in your life and in the city. Far back seat. Are they used for the purposes of Jesus? Absolutely. But they are no longer your center of gravity. Jesus is. This community is not bound together by all those other externals. Jesus is our center of gravity. You were made to be together. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says this in his classic Life Together. He says, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize. It's not an ideal we have to realize. It's not this vision that we need to get together, put our brains together and say, okay, how how do we do this? What, what, What do we have to do? As if we have been given no help. But rather, Christian community, he says, is a reality, a reality. We don't get to choose whether this is true or not. 
It is a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. And so my question for you, if you are not participating in the reality that you are not king, but Jesus is king, I invite you to that. If you are not a part of a church and you're considering anchor, I invite you to that. If you do not follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit is moving you, then I invite you to repent and put your faith in Jesus. We would love nothing more than to celebrate that with you, that you have found new life. The Bible says that we have been transferred from the realm of death and darkness to light and life and love. Do you want that? And so shortly, what we're going to do to celebrate some of this stuff together and to wrestle with these realities together is we're going to have a prayer team uh, at the back. We'd love to pray for you. They have orange lanyards. They're, they'll be easy to find. And they'll be at the front in, in, uh, after the service as well. But we'd love to pray for and with you. We'd love for us to partner together financially as we give of our first fruits, the Bible says, as the buckets come around. But also, we, we don't only want you to give, we want you to receive the grace of Jesus through the Lord's Supper together. As we celebrate a meal together, remembering the broken body of Jesus and, and the spilt blood of Jesus, as we take that into ourselves, we are celebrating his victory and his death in our place. So I invite you to that. Let me pray. Actually, let, let, me, let me ask everyone to stand, please. And I want to pray this over you. And the band will sing. We can sing together. We can pray together. We can rejoice together. We can cry together. But let me, let me pray this blessing over you. Father, Father we, I thank you for every single person in this room. They were made in your image. They have value beyond what they can ever comprehend. Help them, help us all to not live our little dreams in our little stories that only cause confusion, death, and disappointment. Help us to live out of this true and beautiful story of the gospel. So Holy Spirit, I pray that as, as everyone here, that they would receive the vision of what it means to be the church what it means to live beyond ourselves, what it means to repent of the lies that we've believed, that life is all about us. Help us. We need your help. I pray this all in your beautiful and powerful name, Jesus. Amen and amen.